So we come to Habakkuk chapter 2 tonight, and we're only going to look at three verses. And what we're going to talk tonight about is idolatry. And I know that many of you are going to go, now wait a minute. How in the world can this passage apply to me? I'm not out there in my shed or in my garage creating some little idol and placing idols all around my house, you know. So what does a message on idolatry have to do with me or our relationship with God? I, hang in there. I think we'll find there's a lot of application to this tonight. But I just want to begin by us reading... Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18, 19, and 20. And we've come to a place where Habakkuk is being reminded by God that God is God only through faith alone. And what that means is that God is really only God whenever we allow Him to be the God that He has revealed Himself to be. The Babylonians and even the Israelites at this time in history, where they were going wrong and why they were entering into idolatry, is they were seeking to know the unknowable and seeking to control the unknowable through means of idolatry. And we'll talk obviously more about that in a little bit. Living by faith means acknowledging, accepting, and appreciating God as God. That's what it means to... And that's high-altitude faith. That means let God be God. Don't try to manipulate Him. Don't try to control Him. Don't try to seek from Him what He hasn't revealed. All of these things involves high-altitude faith that Habakkuk talks about in Habakkuk 3.19. So let's follow along as I read these verses. God says to Habakkuk, what good is an idol? Why would a craftsman make it? What good is a mental image that gives misleading oracles? Why would its creator place his trust in it and make such mute, worthless things? The one who says to wood, wake up, is as good as dead. He who says to speechless stone, awake, can it give reliable guidance? Is it overlaid with gold and silver? It has no life's breath inside it. But the Lord is in his majestic palace, and the whole earth is speechless in his presence. Again, the reason why God was bringing Babylon as his instrument of judgment into Judah was because the people of God had fallen into idolatry. And he was using the Babylonians, who obviously, their whole nation was based on false gods and idolatry. And God here is saying, he's going to war against the idols. He's saying, it doesn't even make sense. Idolatry is sort of a, a contradiction in itself, because the one who's making these idols is actually putting his trust in what he has made. In one sense, idolatry is worshiping the one who makes something over the maker, if you will. Idolatry is focusing on what we can do, not who God is and what God 
can do. Now we're going to come right back to Habakkuk chapter 2, but I want to re-familiarize ourselves with the first couple of commandments that God gave to his people as well. So if you go back to Exodus 20, you'll see that as God began to give Moses the Ten Commandments as we know it, notice that the very first two deal basically with this whole idea of idolatry. That's how important it was to God was these were the very first things that God said to his people. So in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, God spoke all these words. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water below. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. By the way, this word jealous here, usually, obviously, in our language even, in our culture, is always has a negative connotation. But this word in the Hebrew language is only used about God. And it speaks not about the negative emotion that you and I as human beings can have toward each other. It speaks about the fact that God is distinctive from all other creation, and therefore He is deserving of exclusive worship. That's why God is a jealous God, because there is no one or nothing else like Him. In fact, He says in the prophets, I have no peer. There is no one else like me. I alone am God. I am the only God. I am the only true God. Therefore, there should be no other rival to me. And so when the Bible says that he is jealous, it simply means he guards, if you will, his unique distinctiveness from the rest of creation and deserves our exclusive worship. That was why he railed, if you will, and gave commandments against idolatry. Well, if you go back now to Habakkuk chapter 2, and we'll be turning to many other scriptures tonight, here was the problem, especially with the Babylonians. Again, the proud Babylonians wanted to try to know the unknowable. Let's start there. That's part of why people get into idolatry. They want to know what they don't know. Now, there's a verse in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, verse 29, that says, Secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that He has revealed to, to us, then obviously He wants us to focus on those things. And so God is saying, look, there's some things I'm not going to tell you. For many reasons. Maybe you can't handle it, you can't understand it, you can't comprehend it, whatever. But there's just going to be some things that God, because He's God, chooses not to reveal to us. God says, you've got to have enough faith to be okay with that. To not know everything. Because none of us who are created beings, including the angels in heaven, are ever going to know everything that God knows. Never. I mean, even when we get to heaven... We're never going to have the, the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding of everything like God does. There's always going to be a difference between God and us in our understanding. So God says, you're not going to know everything. You've got to be okay with not knowing everything. Again, one of the reasons why people 
get into idolatry and they go to, you know, palm readers and, and, and psychics and all these different things and get into basically idolatry because idolatry is also seeking something that you want but not coming by means of God to get it. And people, so they scramble like, I, I want to know what I don't know. And God says, part of learning to have high altitude faith is learning to trust me that if I have chosen not to reveal it to you, there's a very good reason for that. But there are many things I have revealed to you. Those are the things we should be concentrating on. Not the things that he hasn't revealed. Not getting all caught up and, and spinning our energy and, and putting forth effort to know the unknowable yet. If God wants us to know it, he will reveal it. But he has revealed much to us that he wants us to concentrate on. And then the other part of this that the Babylonians especially were guilty of is they also not only wanted to know the unknowable, they wanted to control the unknowable. They had control issues. Any of you have control issues? See, this is part of what leads to idolatry. Because like the proud Babylonians, they created idols by their own hands for, for several reasons. They wanted to profit from the idols. They wanted protection from the idols. Uh, they, they wanted control. They wanted guidance. Now the thing is, God has said in His Word, I will prosper you if you follow me. I'll protect you if you trust me and follow me. And I will guide you. But the one thing God doesn't say is, you can control me. And see, that's part of what leads people into idolatry, if you will, is where we try to control or manipulate God through idolatry. Now again, maybe all of us were going, well, again, I don't go out there in my garage and create these little idols and try to you know, control things through them. No, maybe we don't as Christians, obviously. But what we can be guilty of at times is trying to get what we want from God rather than letting God just bring things along in our life in His timing and in His way He wants to and what He wants to bring along. And we can even as Christians get very good because we're sort of good at this even in life when we want something that we, we try to figure out how I can get what I really want. And, and sometimes we might bend the rules or we go a little bit outside the boundaries because I really want to get there or I want that thing and, and I don't see a straight way. So I'm going to try to figure out and, and finagle all this and manipulate and all of this. And it's part of that control, you see. And that's part of what leads people into that kind of, of even, in a sense, playing around, if you will, with God. We even try to manipulate God, or we try to get to a place in our life where we want to bend God to our way and our will, rather than coming before God and saying, God, whatever your will is, whatever your way is, I'm okay. And that's high-altitude faith. Because let's face it, at times we want something and maybe God hasn't given it to us. And by gosh, we're going to try to figure out a way to get there or get that apart from God, you see. Again, that's why people go to idols because 
The reason why they, they know if you try to control God, the one true God, you know, we're not going to get anywhere with that. God will not be controlled by us. God will not be manipulated by us. So people are drawn to things that they can create in their own mind. Or we create a God, we design a God to be the God that we want Him to be so that we can get what we want. Which is why even down through church history, many people have created a false concept of God that doesn't line up with the Bible. It's like God now becomes this big Santa Claus up there that basically can give me what I want when I want it. You know, the whole even health and wealth gospel, if you will. That all God is up there to do is, is just make us happy and make us wealthy and give us everything that we want. He's just this big, you know, banker up there and just keeps laying it on us. And that's the way people, many people approach God, you see. And what that really is, is that's a form of idolatry. That is trying to control and manipulate God and get what we want. And God says, nope, that's not faith. You're not allowing me to be God. Because high altitude faith and living by faith, again, means acknowledging God as God. It means accepting God as God, whatever God wants, whatever his will is, and appreciating God as God. Saying, God, I might not even understand this, but I, I know that your way and your will is absolute best. I mean, and Habakkuk had to get there, obviously. The prophet of God had to get there because when God revealed that he was going to use the Babylonians to come in and judge his own people, Habakkuk had a problem with that. And God had to move his own prophet to a place where he said, you know what, God, I don't understand it all. I still can't maybe wrap my mind around why the Babylonians, but you know what, God? I have come to a place where I'm resigning that you know what's best. And I'm going to yield and I'm going to bend to your way and to your will. Instead of trying to control you and manipulate you and bend you to what I want, you see. And that's really one of the big aspects of idolatry. You'll notice here, in a sense, God even mocks the idols and the people that make them. He says, they can't speak. They can't give you any guidance. And here God is, the true living God. He said, I've spoken to you. Think about that. I've revealed myself to you. I have given you clear instructions, but you won't listen to me because you can't control me. You can't manipulate me. So you go off and make your own idols that you can control and manipulate and bend to your, to your will. Turn with me to Psalm 115, verse 8. Psalm 115, Verse 8. God here is talking about idols, and he says, Those who make them will end up like them, as will everyone who trusts in them. What's God mean, I'll end up like an idol? If I trust in the idol, it means we will become dead 
powerless and helpless. Because God said, that's what idols are. Idols aren't living like I am. They're dead. And they're powerless. And they're, they can't help you. They have no power to be able to help you. Don't rely on your trinkets and on your amulets and on all these, you know, things. Rely and trust in me. I'm greater and bigger than any, any piece of, you know, something that you are putting your trust in over me. Don't do that, you see. That's religion. That's not really a relationship with God. In fact, even in the New Testament, John says in 1 John chapter 5, I believe it's verse 13, little children, speaking to all of us as Christians, guard yourself from idols. Guard yourself from idols. Now again, he's talking to Christians there. And he's not really saying that I think that you're going to go out and create these little idols and then put them all around your house. Well then, what's another aspect of idolatry? Well, besides trying to control or manipulate or get what we want out of God that's part of idolatry, idolatry can also be defined as anything that we put in front of God. Anything that takes the rightful place of God. If you remember, even when we started our series in Hebrews on Sunday morning, I said, unless Jesus Christ has his rightful place in our life, then nothing else will have its rightful place in our life. God has to come first, which is why even God said in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, you shall have no other gods before me. Part of idolatry is putting something or someone, any person, any power, any spirit that we are looking to even and relying on for our satisfaction, our security, our accomplishment, our honor, the things we've talked about in the book of Habakkuk, that's idolatry. That's idolatry. In fact, can I tell you, I think that when you come to the book of Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, when God comes to Abraham, And the Bible says God came to test Abraham. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your one and only son whom you love. And I want you to take him up to to Mount Moriah. And I want you to sacrifice him. Why did God do that? I believe if you study the life of Abraham and his relationship with his son Isaac, Isaac had become an idol. Isaac was more important to God or more important to Abraham than God was. And God says, now, if you're going to be the father of many nations, if you're going to be the leader of this new people that I'm going to form and you're going to start it all, I can't have you starting it and being the lead by putting something or someone else before me. You've got to show that I am number one in your life. Even above your own son, Isaac. And I think that's why God tested him. To see, would Abraham put God above his own son, Isaac? Because 
Let me take you to a couple other places. Go to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. Chapter 1. If I can turn the page. I'm going to start reading in verse 15 of chapter 1, and this is a great section of Scripture on basically the greatness of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created by Him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and all things are held together in Him. He is the head of the body, the church, that's you and I, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, here it is, so that He Himself may become first... In all things. The only time this word is used in the entire New Testament, the word first, it's the Greek word proteo here in Colossians 1.18. It means to have and to hold first place. It can be translated preeminent. It means Jesus Christ should be Number one. If Jesus Christ is not number one, if someone or something else is, then guess what? That's idolatry. That's why Jesus came to the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation and said, I have something against you. You have left your what? First love. Because I should, I should be your first love. You know, the greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. God says, I deserve first place. So idolatry is not just creating little idols and bowing down to them or praying to them or relying on them like we would God or should God. It's not just living my life trying to bend God to my way and will and manipulate and control the things that are either unknowable or out of my control. Idolatry is also putting anything or anyone above the Lord in my life. You see. That is also a form of idolatry. And that is what God is speaking about here. To his own people through the Babylonians, back in Habakkuk. He's saying to Habakkuk, and to eventually his people. I'm bringing the Babylonians in as my instrument of judgment to humble you and bring you to your knees. And hopefully, through that, you will give up your worship of idols. You will realize that these idols that you serve and that, that you pray to and that you, know, you put all this effort and energy into, they're nothing. They're not even alive. They can't help you at all. I'm the one true living God, and I really can help you. In fact, go to this great passage in Isaiah chapter 48. I love these verses. Isaiah 48, verses 17 and 18. Everything that people look to idols to do for them, God is willing to do for his people if we follow him. Isaiah 48, verses 17 and 18. This is what the Lord, your protector, says. 
Again, why do people choose idols? Because they want protection. Well, God says, I'll protect you, and I can protect you better than anyone. I am the Lord your God. And notice, who teaches you how to succeed. Why do people get into idols? I want to succeed. I want to be successful. I want to. God says, follow me. I'll, I'll teach you how to be prosperous and successful. Who leads you in the way you should go? Why do people enter into idolatry? They want guidance. I, show me, God, what I should. God says, I'll guide you. I'll lead you. Again, everything people look to, to idols to do for them, the one true living God says, I'll do that for you if you follow me. And then in verse 18, if only, he says to his people, you had obeyed my commandments, prosperity would have flowed to you like a river. Deliverance would have come to you like the waves of the sea. Wow. God says you would have had everything you ever wanted and more. But going back to even Sunday's message out of Hebrews, you didn't trust me. You were faithless. You were unfaithful. You were not willing to follow my will and my way. You wanted to do it your way. You see. Because you wanted to be in control. Instead of allowing me to be in control of your life, you wanted to be in control. You wanted to call the shots because you thought you knew better than me, God. And that's really what it comes down to, if we're honest. Whether we're talking about a church and a corporate group of believers or whether we're talking about us as individual believers, we have got to come to a place of high-altitude faith where in each and every situation and season of life we go, God, I'm just a human being. You're God. You, you got this. You know way more than I could ever know. You understand way more than I could ever understand. If anybody's got the big picture, it's not me, it's you, God. You're seeing things from a heavenly perspective. You're seeing things from an eternal perspective that I could never fathom or see. So God, I come to trust you. I come to yield my will and bend my will to your will. And to come to say, God, I'll do it your way. I'll do it your way. That's high altitude faith. Because there's going to be those instances or tests in our life. Where we go, God, I really want to do this or I really want to go that way. And either it's a timing thing, God says, not now, not yet. Or it's a, no, that's not what's best. Better if you go this way. And we go, but God, come on, God. Can't you see things from my perspective? And of course, God, yeah, I can, and it's pretty lame. And listen, I mean, I know about what I'm talking about because I do this all the time with God. I'm learning not to do it as much. But in this last year and a half, since we bought the property, I've been like, come on, God. Can't we get this building thing going? Can't we, you know, can't we speed this up a little bit? God says, Jeff, 
Trust me. My way's best. Okay, God. And I'll just, I'm just going to be real raw and honest with you. I'll, I'll give it over to God for a while. And then more time will pass and I'll take it back and go, But God, can't we deal here? Can't we come to some kind of, you know, deal? Jeff, my way. Got to do this my way. Okay, God, okay. Which is why, if you go back to the book of Habakkuk, in closing tonight, I love this verse. How does God end this passage on idolatry? He does it this way. He says, but the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is in his majestic palace or holy temple. And the word majestic in the net Bible, holy, maybe in another translation, simply is speaking about the apartness or sacredness of God. Again, God is saying, I am like no other. I have no peer. There is no one like me. There never will be. Is there anyone that occupies the place of God? No. So God says, when you begin to see who I am and where I am, and the place that I hold in this universe, and the fact that I created the whole universe anyway, and hold it all together, then the whole earth should become speechless in my presence. And literally in the Hebrew, silence before him all the earth. It's the Hebrew word hush. It's like God is saying, if you really saw me in my glory, you wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to tell God a thing or two. Wait till I get to heaven. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. No, we're not. When we get the glory and we begin to see glimpses of the glory of God, we're just going to be speechless. We're not going to say anything. I mean, the people that saw God in some way, in the Bible. They were rendered speechless. Think of Isaiah. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what was his response as he saw the seraphim all around him and all these, you know, just brilliant displays of God's majesty and magnificence and excellence. He says, I became undone. I, I, I just, I was done. He said, I, I recognize that I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people who are sinful and have unclean lips and, and I see the Lord. There's no one like him. And God says, here's the way to solve our idolatry in our life. Is taking the time to get to know who God really is. And getting a glimpse of who He is through His Word and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That'll solve idolatry. Because if we really understood 
how awesome God was and where He was and who He was and all of that, then we would trust Him more. We would believe in Him more. We would put our confidence in Him more. Because the only way that you and I at times get to a place where we think we know more than God is because we've brought God down from where He is. That must be the faultiness of our thinking. Because how else do we think as human beings we know better than God if we haven't brought Him down or brought ourselves up to His level? Which is why I want to leave you with these verses tonight. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. The first two verses. I think Phillips, Craig, and Dean have sung a worship song about this concept. Let your words be few. Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, the first couple of verses. Solomon writes, Be careful what you do when you go to the temple of God. Draw near to listen rather than to offer a sacrifice like fools. There's that listening again. Nicole sung about it. We talked about it even on Sunday out of the book of Hebrews. James talks about it. In the book of James, I think it's chapter 2, verse 19, he says, My brothers and sisters, be slow to speak and ready to hear or listen. Talk less, listen more, is really the admonition of James. For he goes on to say, Solomon, for they do not realize that they are doing wrong. Do not be rash with your mouth or hasty in your heart to bring up a matter before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. God is God alone through faith. Not trying to design the kind of God that we want. That we can manipulate and control and bend to our will and to our way. God becomes God when we let God be God. When we acknowledge Him as God, when we accept Him as God, and when we appreciate Him as God. High and lifted up. Even tonight, with all the terrible violence and tragedies that continue to go on in our country and in the world, both in, obviously, Alexandria, Virginia this morning, and San Francisco... Violence continues to increase. The world is falling apart. And the primary reason why the people of this world and the world is falling apart is because we have forsaken God. And we are not giving God His rightful place. That's why. That's why our lives fall apart at times. Because we do not give God first place. And unless God has first place, then everything else in our life won't be in the right place. Jesus again said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all those other things will be added to you. Put God first. 
get him in the place that he should be in, then we never have to worry about idolatry. Because there will never be anyone or anything in God's place in our life. And we'll have the right priority. And he will be in such a place that we will understand, God, I, I trust you. I don't understand it. I, I can't wrap my mind around it all. I don't get it, but you're God in heaven. I'm just a human being on earth. I'm going to start listening more and talking less. and I'm going to let my words be few. Good stuff for us as followers of God. And that's why this passage on idolatry really does have relevance to us today as followers of Jesus Christ. Well, two more weeks to go. Next week we get into chapter 3. Hope you'll come back and be with us next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for revealing so much of yourself and who you are to us. And though, Lord, at times we struggle and wrestle with the things that we don't know or that we can't control, and yet, God, we must understand that you are always in control. You are the Lord, Jehovah, the self-existent one, and you are seated in your majestic palace. In fact, the Bible even says that even though that's where you manifest your presence, God, the whole universe could not contain you. You are that grand and that great. Oh God, may we begin to, con- to get a glimpse of who you really are so that we would trust you more. So that we would let go of the things that we can't control anyway that we so hard you know, struggle trying to control and just let you be God. Let you bring into our life what you want to bring in. Let you take out of our life what you want to take out and simply just follow you and bend our way and our will to you, God. Help us, Lord, to guard our lives from idols. Help us not to put any other person, any other power, any other spirit, any other thing, Lord, in place of you. May you be now our first love and have preeminence in our lives. May you also have preeminence in this church. May this church never be about celebrities and humans. May it always be centered on you. May you get the glory. Not us. God, impress upon us tonight that we can trust you. That you want us to succeed and prosper. You want to guide us. You will protect us. Just help us to trust you in that, God. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for being here. We'll see you next week.